Welcome to the Two Writing Teachers podcast. Two Writing Teachers is a meeting place for a world of reflective writers. Here on the podcast, we are excited to talk about ways to create, lead, and sustain joyful and productive writing workshops. My name is Stacey Schubitz, and I'm here with my colleague, Melanie Meehan. Let's work together to inspire and empower students to be competent, brave, and confident writers. Did you know you can purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore? With Libro FM, you can pick from more than 275,000 audiobooks, including bestsellers and recommendations from real booksellers. You'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a different story, one that supports your local community. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to squeeze more reading into your busy life. Listen with the free Libro FM app while you do your chores, walk the dog, or relax at home. If you already love audiobooks and need to know what to listen to next, check out recommendations from the people who know best, booksellers. Two Writing Teachers podcast listeners can take advantage of this special offer. Get two audiobooks on Libro FM for the price of one. $14.99 with your first month of membership with code TWTPOD. That's T-W-T-P-O-D. Offer only valid for new members in Canada and the United States. Hi, everyone. I'm Melanie Meehan, and I am excited to be here today with my friend and colleague, Stacey Schubitz. How are you, Stacey? I'm good. Happy to be here with you, too. I'm excited this morning. We kind of talked about the different approaches we could take and decided a really important episode would be really digging into how a block of writing time goes. It's almost like an outline for a writing workshop. And I think it's critical to talk about. I think it is very important. And before we get started, for any of our regular listeners who have been teaching with a workshop approach for many years, we know that this might feel repetitive, very like writing workshop 101. And we acknowledge that. We are hoping that this episode is something you can pass along to a colleague. There are many people either who are new to teaching or who are just new to workshop teaching that might benefit from this. So we're hoping it's helpful. It's interesting because I've been meeting with new teachers. Uh, full disclosure, we're, we're recording this at the beginning of a school year And so many just need to go over the structure of a workshop and hear how the timing of it goes. And I think that I go in with an assumption that, of course, they know that. And shame on me because you don't. And it's just such an important thing. I was saying to one of the new teachers of writing workshop kind of has a trajectory, almost like a workout, right? There's in a workout, you have the warm up, the drills, the stretching. There's a trajectory that you know and understand. And that's what writing workshop has too. And as they get to know that trajectory, everything seems to go better. And I do want to jump off of that because this might be one of the only sports analogies you've ever used that I can <laughs> like, be like, yes, I get that. Um, but in, in all seriousness, I mean, I work out regularly, I do Pilates, I walk, um, and the bulk of my time is spent doing the workout. 
I probably spend a little bit longer on a cool down than most people because I don't know, I need to stretch. But I mean, those two times at the bookends of my workout are definitely shorter. So I really can relate to that because I think that in many cases, people think, oh, well, the mini lesson is so super important. It's the whole class time. I've got to spend the most amount of time on that. And it's really not true. I want to highlight that. I don't know how you highlight something in a podcast. I don't know. Right? We'll figure it out. Can you can you get a yellow highlighter out and do an audio? <laughs> Probably not. No. But yeah, there are so many teachers who spend all of their time planning a mini lesson. Mm-hmm. And that is, yes, you have to plan a mini lesson. But I think if you're planning the mini lesson, here's a great rule of thumb. If your planning is taking longer than it actually takes to deliver the mini lesson, then you're probably spending too long planning it. Yes, but I'm just going to push back on that for a second, because when you're new to doing this work, I think it really does take you a while to learn how to do it. But like once you've been doing it for like a year or two, I agree wholeheartedly, like you should not be taking that long. Like you should understand the fundamental structure of a mini lesson. And we'll have a podcast on that in a couple of weeks. It might take longer. I mean, I'll be totally transparent. I used to be the person who would like write out their whole mini lesson early on because I needed to. And then I realized I just needed a few bullet points. So just talk to me about the basic framework. And if you were sitting down with a new teacher or somebody who was unfamiliar to a writing block of time, mm-hmm. and I'm saying writing block of time sort of synonymously with a writing workshop, because there's some different terms that are out there that are going around. And I want to be careful of that. But let's just envision 45 minutes or 60 minutes, depending Mm -hmm. on your instructional minutes and how they are allocated, Mm -hmm. of a instructional period dedicated to writing. Yep. Talk to me about that, Stacey. If I were trying to represent this visually, I would probably use a pie chart. That's usually what I've used. So I'm just going to give time frames and we'll start like that. So the first five to 10 minutes of the workshop block is going to be for whole group instruction. It's usually delivered in a mini lesson format. Then depending on how you think about this, I know we might interpret it or tell teachers about it in different ways. So I typically think 30 to 40 minutes for independent writing time. Another way to think about that independent writing time is by breaking it up into chunks. So 15 to 20 minutes, you are conferring, leading small groups, kids are writing independently. Um, Then there's a two to three minute mid-workshop interruption. And then another 15 to 20 minutes, depending on how much time you have, where you go back to conferring, leading small groups, Perhaps students are having peer conferences during this point, or they are continuing to write. And then the final 10, maybe five to 10 minutes of the workshop time is used for share and reflection. So students are thinking about the work that they did that day. They are sharing, and it could be a whole class share where everyone gathers again on the carpet or in the meeting area, or it might be a partner share. I think varying the way that we share is really important, but let's get to that later. Right. And, you know, one of the things that I want to just add is we are recording and thinking about this at the beginning of the year. And that block of time and the independent writing time might not 
be as long as you want it to be. Stacy has a podcast that she did during season one about building stamina, and that would be a great one to listen to also. But this is a time where you can really artfully use your mid-workshop interruptions and maybe have more than one during the initial weeks of school so that you're breaking things up and you're not asking kids to sustain their writing for as long a time period. You're kind of building it up. Mm-hmm. I also want to just say that this is a really, really traditional and effective way of learning anything for people. Mm-hmm. So whether it is, you know, learning a sport or an activity or a skill, you need some instruction and you need time to practice it and try it out. And that's what this model and framework really allows for kids to do and mm-hmm and why it's important. Nobody can listen to somebody talk for a really long time. You've got to have a little instruction, and then you've got to go out and you've got to try it out and approximate and have a go at it and maybe have some reminders and some cueing along the way and then sort of celebrate what you've done and reflect on it. That's how most people learn the most effectively. Mm -hmm. So let's jump into that mini lesson and talk about what that looks like how kids are even coming to the meeting area. You want to jump into that? So, uh, you know, I I do spend time when I'm working at the beginning of the year, really teaching kids how to come to down to a mini lesson. And, and I'm kind of a stickler for having kids come to a rug area or a group learning area. I am too. Yeah. Like I, I, I want a rug in a classroom and kids to know that that is their place to come and sit down and be ready to learn. I'll teach them what I want them to bring and how they organize it. And not, it's not like all the time I say, bring your writer's notebook or bring your clipboard or whatever. Sometimes they don't need anything. It depends on that mini lesson. But I do want them to know how to move from their desk to the rug and That's almost a teaching point in a system and structure of the classroom. It's critical. It's one of those things that requires interactive modeling. So that way, if you are front loading that at the beginning of the year, perhaps you need to revisit it after winter vacation or spring break because, you know, everyone forgets stuff when they're gone from school. But like it's practiced. It's a really quick reminder. And like maybe the first day or two is rocky, but they know how to do it. And they're going to go back to doing it if that time is really spent up front and also leaving the meeting area, which we'll get to in a second. But we don't want a rush of people exiting the meeting area and heading back to their writing spots because that's just loud and could be unsafe, depending on how rambunctious kids are in your class. Yeah, someone gets their finger stepped on. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. But once you get going with the mini lesson, again, like... I'm pretty firm at it being six to 10 minutes. I can give a quick mini lesson in six minutes. It depends on the age of the students. It depends on the teaching point. Generally, rule of thumb, the younger the students, the quicker I try to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with a, with a format of a mini lesson, I can, I can stick within that time frame pretty well. One of the things that's really helpful to do in terms of managing your time with a mini lesson is set a timer and make sure that you stick within the constraints of that timer because 
you really do want to stick to that amount of time because that way kids get to the independent writing time in the practice and you don't lose their attention spans. So really consider having that timer set. Also really consider when you do the talking and when kids do the talking. Because as soon as you start asking questions during your teach part of your mini lesson, and we'll get into the structures of it, you will lose kids. And before I go farther into it, I will just say, or Stacey, why don't you say, so we break up voices, just give me the, the components real quickly of a mini lesson so that people understand and we're talking the same language. Sure. And if there was that proverbial highlighter that you were talking about earlier, that point that you just made, Melanie, would be highlighted. Um, so before I jump into those components, I just want to piggyback off that and really say how important it is not to open up the floodgates. Um, this is where, you know, kids really understand what their role is in the mini lesson and what your role is. So with that being said, the first part of the mini lesson is connecting to prior knowledge. So there is a connection. Um, it's approximately one to two minutes long. One is probably better than two. Um, then after you deliver a very clear teaching point that explains to students what they are learning, why they're learning it and how to do it, it's, you know, just a well-written teaching point, then you're jumping into teaching. So you're getting to that teach part of the mini lesson where you are explicitly teaching one skill, one strategy, um, one writing behavior, just one of something to students. They are watching you and there are different ways to teach. And we'll get to that in another um, podcast episode. But in the show notes, I will make sure that we link to the different types of mini lessons that are out there. But right after that, you are then giving students something that they are going to try out. And often we say, now it's your turn to try it. And kids are going to have the opportunity to practice whatever it is you taught in that mini lesson. The active engagement part of a mini lesson needs to match whatever you taught. It should not be mismatched. Otherwise, you're going to see a lot of kids who just don't know what to do. And then finally, you are linking to the work that the students are going to be doing that day. That's again, one minute. So if you're thinking about the connection being one to two minutes, preferably one, and the link being one minute, so let's work our way backwards from 10 minutes. You have seven minutes in there to teach and to have kids actively engaged. So that's four to five minutes where, for the teaching. Yeah, but that's really where I would just say the only time kids should be talking is during the active engagement, especially mm -hmm. as you're getting going. And you might, as you get better and better at giving a mini lesson, break that. It's not like a hard and fast black and white rule. But I mm -hmm. think that when you are first getting started, if you make it that, like it's my turn to talk until it's the active engagement, that's where I'm talking about really saving that time. Because as soon as kids start talking during your teach, and as soon as you start asking questions during your teach, even if they're redundant, that's going to extend the time. Yep. So Stacey, let's take a quick break before we get going on what happens after the, the mini lesson. And we will be right back. Strong readers and writers are more likely to succeed in school, their careers, and in life. 
But first, kids need to develop background knowledge, vocabulary, and skills like comprehension to really strengthen their literacy. There's no question this is critical for their future. That's where BrainPop comes in. It's a learning platform proven to build knowledge and skills, but in the way kids like to learn, through movies and games. BrainPop makes kids really want to learn through the power of storytelling, a great sense of humor, and an animated cast of characters. While kids are laughing away with a movie after dinner or a game before bed, they're actually growing their minds. It's a win for them and a win for you. BrainPop is proven to help students succeed too. Just ask a teacher. They've been using it in school for over 24 years because it's backed by research and they've seen how much students can accomplish when learning feels fun. Now, the same team has made this award-winning platform easy to plug into your family's routine at home. Preparing your kids for a lifetime of achievement starts when you press play. You can try it free for two weeks and take 15% off your first month or year of membership. Just use our code TWTPOD15. This offer applies to BrainPop family or homeschool and new subscribers only. We are back. Let's talk about independent writing time. This is really going to be the heart of your workshop. It's where most of the time is spent. Why? Because kids need to practice writing if they're going to get really good at it. So Melanie, talk to me. I say I say 30 to 40 minutes. You say 15 to 20, 2 to 3, 15 to 20. So like just take that chunk of time that I gave up front and now talk about what happens in the 15 to 20, what happens in the 2 to 3, and then what happens in the final 15 to 20 minutes of independent writing time? So I think if we're thinking about chunks of it, we could say, okay, 15 to 20 minutes of independent writing time, followed by a little bit of teaching, followed by another 15 to 20 minutes of independent writing time. So as you envision and listen to this, really the same Things are happening during this first 15 minutes of independent writing time and the second one on the backside of the workshop. So I feel like we don't have to talk about that second half of independent writing time because it's sort of the same thing. Yes. However, I think that, and this might just be me, um, I like to make sure that the the time frame before the mid-workshop interruption is pretty quiet. And so if students want to work in partnerships or have a peer conference, I like to do it afterwards. So that way everyone's kind of like learning style is met where like there is that quiet time and then there is more of like a working hum in the classroom. That's just me. I love that. I don't know that I've ever said that explicitly and I do it, I think, naturally. But I think that to think about that explicitly is really, really important. One of the things, one of the mistakes or the what I find myself with an issue a lot is that my independent writing time when I'm managing a workshop goes too long mm-hmm. in the first chunk, uh, which is sort of a celebration, but it's also sort of a problem because I don't have that second chunk of independent writing time. Sometimes my mid-workshop interruption is more like an end of workshop. So I think putting what you just said together and really operating by it would be a helpful thing for me as I'm going into classrooms that have 45-minute writing blocks. Yeah, because you really need to plan that mid-workshop. And that's where, I mean, if you've only got 45 minutes... 
you need to know what you're going to teach in that mid-workshop most likely because you're only going to have one to two conferences or one to two small groups or a small group in a conference in that first part of your independent writing time, which is where you're conferring and such. I mean, it, it would be great if you can get a good mid-workshop interruption out of a conference or a small group that you led, but you've got to know that you may not. So you need to have some type of teaching point ready to go, something that you want to demonstrate to students and really stick to, okay, I'm going to meet with two kids or one kid in a group, and then I'm going to do it. Yeah. So independent writing time is, again, kind of like bringing kids to the rug and teaching them where to sit. It is something that you've got to really set up with kids ahead of time and teach. This is what I do during independent writing time. And this is what you do during independent writing time. And that becomes a crucial, crucial lesson because if kids don't know what they do during independent writing time, then you're liable to get a line of kids forming behind each other as you're trying to have a conference or a small group. And then nothing good happens because you can't concentrate on what you're teaching. The kids in front of you can't concentrate on what they're learning. And the kids standing in line are just standing there. Correct. So I think it's really, really important to teach kids that when you are meeting with other students, their job is to problem solve on their own. Mm -hmm. They can start a new piece. They can use tools that they have. They can dig into mentor text if they're really stuck. There are certain things that they can do that keeps them working independently and doesn't require them coming up and asking you a question. And I'll teach very clearly that they can interrupt me if it's an emergency. And this is, here are the things that constitute them. So I don't know, what would you add to that, Stacey? I think the most important thing I want to add is that if you are a new workshop teacher, I didn't say new teacher, I said new workshop teacher, and you're listening to this and it's the fall and you're thinking, well, independent writing is not going well in my class and I didn't do this in the first six weeks of school. So like, it's a lost cause. It's not. I think what you really need to do is talk with your literacy coach, if you have one, or with your administrator and say to them that something's not working. I need to take a few days to teach into management. And by management, I don't mean like strict management. I'm talking about the student role in the mini lesson, the student's role and the teacher's role in independent writing time, whatever it is, like how to ask for a peer conference, how to ask to go to the bathroom if perhaps you didn't cover that, um, whatever it is, I would not be afraid to take a few days to teach for management because it will help you teach the rest of the year. And I have always encountered administrators who are willing to give teachers that time even if it means they fall a little bit behind, because guess what? They know how important that's going to be, or you're really not going to be making it through your units for the rest of the year in the way that you want to make it through, or as some people would say, with fidelity. What I would add, and I feel like we're harping on this point, but I'm okay with that because it is so critical that kids know what to do during independent writing time, that harping on it is an important thing, is If there's an extra adult to bring in, I would bring in that extra adult, 
but in a crystal clear way that that extra adult is there to teach kids what to do during independent writing time, not to give extra help to kids during independent writing time. And I'm saying that because if that adult comes in and gives them extra help, then you are teaching kids that they need to be dependent. Right. We don't want kids to be reliant on adult support. We want them to learn how to become reliant on themselves. And the best way to do that is by really insisting upon that. And I think that's a great idea. And to that end, if you have a student teacher in your room, and again, if you're a new teacher, you probably don't. But if you're new to workshop teacher, you very well may have a student teacher in your room. This is a great way for them to get involved and to really be teaching those important skills that they're going to want to teach their future students. So I, I think that's a great idea, Melanie. I had not thought of that before, but if there happens to be an extra adult or two lying around your school, even a parent volunteer, if you have a really great parent volunteer that you could call in, that'd be a great way to do it. But if you're doing that, then I would just say, make sure that you have a tool that that is a almost repertoire list of what kids can do during independent writing time that don't require an adult participant. Here's what you can do. You can work on a piece. It doesn't have to be perfect. If you're stuck for spelling, here are different ways that you can work on it because so many of the interruptions at this time of year are how do I spell this word? So that's a time to really think about that. You could look back at other pieces that you have and work on something that we've just been teaching about it. You could get yourself a new set of papers or go into a new plan in your writer's notebook and try out planning a new piece. You could get a mentor text, like just teach into the different things that kids can do during their own independent writing time so that they're not interrupting you. All right. enough. Feel, on that. Yeah. I feel like that's a chart. Yep. Like here it is. All that being said, the challenge that I give to teachers during that independent writing time, and you sort of were hinting on it again, but again, I, I picture a T chart and I make it with kids of what I do and what you do during independent writing time. What I will try to challenge teachers to do and what is always like my goal is to get to at least one student as a conference, at least one small group as a conference, and if I am lucky, an additional twosome. So that way during each independent writing block, I am differentiating instruction for one plus four plus two is seven kids. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a pretty great thing if I can hit that many kids during one block of independent writing time. So you're saying one conference, one small group, one peer conference or writing partner conference. Mm-hmm. That that's peer conference. Goal. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a writing partnership. What I'll it try to be two is- kids sitting beside each other who may just be in the same place on that day. Exactly. Yep. Perfect. Um, Let's talk a little bit more about the mid-workshop interruption while we're still talking about independent writing time. One of the best ways that I have learned through the years that I have told many teachers to try is when you want to get your students' attention, you stand in the same place every single day and say, writers, may I have your eyes, please? And then you wait and you wait until everyone has given you their eyes. Now, let's be honest, 
eye contact is really hard for some kids. So the expectation is that they put their writing utensil down or that their hands are off of their keyboards. Um, You have to know your audience. And if not everyone can meet your eyes and sustain eye contact the whole time, that's fine. Some kids listen better when they're not looking, but their hands are free. And then you deliver your teaching point or whatever it is that you are interrupting them about. And sometimes it's a reminder. Yeah. You know, as you were saying that about asking for attention, when I just, just taught kids looking at me during a mid-workshop interruption in the third grade class. And there were a couple of kids who were so engaged in their writing and they were just like on it. They were into an idea. And for those kids' benefit, I did say, when I ask you for your attention in a mid-workshop interruption, which is what I'm doing right now, if you are in the middle of a sentence, I want you to be feel like you can finish it. And I give them that permission just because I would lose my mind if somebody expected me to stop in the middle of a word or a sentence while I was writing. And and I think that that's just an element of respect that I can offer to writers. So It's huge because I'm the same exact way. We have, um, I think we both have very similar office doors and they both have windows on them. And my children know that if my reading glasses are on and I am looking at my computer, they may knock, but then they need to wait. So it's the exact same thing. And if you have that expectation when you are writing, then you're going to want to afford that to students. Right. So, you know, that being said, I think it's really nice if you think, okay, mid-workshop interruption, this is not a mini lesson, but it's a teaching opportunity. Mm-hmm. And you have sort of choices of where to pull from those teaching opportunities. You have the scope and sequence of the unit and the teaching points and learning targets that you know you have to cover. So you could cover any one of those that seems appropriate and developmentally where kids are in their writing lives within that unit. Mm-hmm. You have something that you could echo or highlight that you've taught before. So I'm just a reminder of something that I taught you yesterday or last week, or, you know, don't forget that even though t- today I taught you about such and such, I also taught you about this. Make sure that you're trying to do both. So, You can use it as a reminder. You can also celebrate something that you saw, which I love doing. Like I I just I just saw so and so doing this, and I want to just highlight that and celebrate it because it was a big deal. And that's a really nice thing to do for for kids and building that community. And just for one sec. If you know that you may not get around to that many kids and you don't want to be spur of the moment with it, use a conference that you had the previous day or something that a student did in the small group the previous day that relates that you'd like to celebrate. This is a great time to do it. Yeah. Hold on to those. It's awesome. I will say also, and I sort of alluded to this at the beginning, but I'll say it again, that these mid-workshop interruptions, especially at the beginning of the year, can happen more than once during a workshop. So sometimes I'll look around and I will notice that mm, I'm starting to lose kids. Like they were writing and the writing energy is dwindling. That's when I want to grab them with a mid-workshop interruption because Mm -hmm. it just sort of gets the energy back up and it refocuses them and puts them back into their writing lives. So it might be 
that for the first few weeks of school or when stamina is down, if it's after a break or if it's a, I don't know, exciting kind of a day and just not going great as far as attention is concerned, I might purposefully do more than one mid-workshop interruption. Yep. So let's move on to the share and reflection time that comes at the end of workshop. This needs to happen. Let's be really clear. I left out the share many, many days like you, Melanie. I sometimes went too long when I was a classroom teacher. And I realized after reading Leah Mermelstein's fantastic book on sharing that that was not acceptable. So I needed to do better. Um, this time is really another time that you can teach your students so you don't want to lose it. And even when things are going really, really well, I think it's really important that you put the brakes on and stop that workshop because if you, let's go back to the analogy Melanie used in the beginning, if you go for a run and you don't stretch and cool down at the end, you will pay for it later by muscle cramps or other things. It could even be an injury. Obviously, skipping one or two shared times is not as critical as, you know, cooling down at the end of a run. However, it is if you keep doing it, it's going to become something that really is going to impact you. Totally 100% echo and agree. Talk about some of the different things that you've seen as super effective ways to share that aren't even that overwhelming as far as planning is concerned, Stacey. Give a little rundown about shares and the importance of them. Sure. Leah Mermelstein's book, Don't Forget to Share, excellent title, is about different types of shares that you can lead with your class. Let's be honest, we can, and we will, we will have an entire episode on sharing in the future because we know how large of a topic this is. But let me just be brief. Um, Leah Mermelstein talks about four types of shares. They are content, craft, process, and progress shares. And then I like to think of a fifth type of share, which is also reflection. And that's often happening by oneself. So a student might be reflecting on their writing, in writing, or they may just turn and talk to a partner, or it could be a full class reflection share. But these types of shares can be varied. I prefer to think about how to schedule them based on like where one is in a unit. I don't think that Monday should be for progress shares and Tuesday should be for process shares. And I, I think that's just too rigid and it doesn't really honor the units. So we'll talk more about that, but it's really important to build in that time and to vary the types of shares that students do. I think as you were talking, right, there's some things about the workshop that are flexible and there's some things that are more strict about. And there's a lot of flexibility within a workshop. There's mm -hmm. a lot of flexibility in terms of how you use the different components and what you do during the different time frames. I think that the idea is that the framework should be pretty rigid and known and understood so that you can make sure that you're balancing instruction with authentic practice for kids. Mm -hmm. And a share time, I just want to say one more thing about this. A share time is really important for building community. This is going to be a way where students can come back and connect with each other. And it is a time when students are speaking to one another. And this really helps to build a, and nurture your writing community throughout the school year. 
100%. Stacy, before we finish, if you were going to say like top tips for managing really effective writing block of time, what might you say? I think the most important thing that you can do to keep writing workshop working is to really be cognizant of the time, the time of each of the parts. Um, I don't like timers as much as stopwatches because of the beeping. As I'm sure you can kind of tell from things I've said, I am a writer who thrives when it's quiet. So if I am working on this with a teacher, I'm often telling them to um, use a stopwatch because it's less jarring. But you have to be aware of the time for all of the parts or you're going to lose the end of your workshop time. Totally agree. The second thing, in order for that independent writing time to go really well, kids need to plan for how that's going to go. And I have talked about plan boxes ad nauseum in my professional work as a consultant, and I have a podcast on it. Um, It's a tip for tomorrow, so it's really short, and I will link to it in the show notes. But if your students are really young and they're not able to write quickly and plan quickly, or if you have an older student who's not super quick with the writing of a plan, have your students turn and talk to one each, one another and have them share an oral plan or have them sketch a plan. But they need to know what they're going to do once that link at the end of the mini lesson happens. It's really important for them to think through how they're going to use their independent writing time. It also holds them accountable so that way if students are goofing off, I'll just say it like that because that's how I'm going to put it. Um, but if students are goofing off, you can be like, hey, can you go back and check your plan? Was this part of it? No. Okay. I need you to go back. Which parts did you do? Okay. Go back to that because that's going to allow you to confer with students in some level of quiet or working hum. Otherwise you might lose too many students. What else can you give as a tip? I think that one of the most important lessons you can give at the beginning of the year is teaching students what happens during a workshop. So what your role is and what their role is and having them know and understand what you're trying to do and therefore what they're trying to do. And it gives kids agency, which is just such a powerful thing and what really what writing is all about. I think we've covered it all, Melanie. Um, I think that we've given people a good idea of the overall structure. And I would like to invite everyone who's listening to come back in the next few weeks, we're going to have an episode on mini lessons and we'll make sure to record something about share time so that it's going to be really useful to you and your students. And be sure to check out the show notes because I will include links to some things that will help you right now. And if you're a new teacher listening, make sure that you check those out because that will really enhance the things that we just touched on briefly today. Thank you for listening to the Two Writing Teachers podcast. Check out the show notes for links to the items we mentioned in this episode, as well as ways to connect with us. For more about the teaching of writing, head over to the Two Writing Teachers blog at twowritingteachers.org. If you liked what you heard today, please share it with your friends and colleagues, post about it on social media, like, subscribe, and leave us ratings and reviews. Our music is by Lemon Music Studio. If you'd like to connect with us, email us at contact at twowritingteachers.org. Thanks again for listening. Let's teach, learn, and write on together.